Next question. Next question, because it was stupid. You guys, you guys are like rerun stories. This is just, I mean, it's old stuff. I mean, it's like watching Sanford and Son. And they just rerun after rerun after rerun. What's going on, y'all? Welcome to episode 89 of Shook Me Mooney. Probably won't be a super duper long episode. Just thought that it's been a long time. So I would touch on some topics that have arisen um, in the interim since the last episode. Um, been very busy, been very tired. So I hadn't been able to record as regularly as we you know, are used to, but, you know, I'm here to bring some words to y'all, and I know this is, you know, if you, you know, a lot of you guys want to hear my thoughts on a couple of things that happened over the last week, so this week, we're going to cover two in particular, and of course, we're going to have our award of the week, which I'm um, going to give out, um, and if I'm not mistaken, I believe this is like a back-to-back winner, so, you know, the first thing I want to talk about, and I kind of feel like I'm kind of feeding into something that I didn't want to feed into and I've been critical of, especially in the past week, um, which is the slop heard around the world um, where Will Smith didn't take kindly to a joke that was made by, you know, another great African-American and revered African-American Chris Rock last Sunday at the Oscars ceremony where in which Will Smith eventually won an award for one best actor for you know his role as Richard Williams in King Richard and unfortunately you know the whole event kind of like overshadowed everything else with the Oscars and I think a lot of people you know, kind of getting like high and mighty with it and kind of making it seem like it took away from the show. But from a lot of people who I've followed on Twitter, you know, the whole reason they even knew like the Oscars was happening that night was, you know, the slap, you know, I watched because, you know, if you've been watching this show or listening to this show throughout, you know, our existence, you know, where, you know, we've been, major like film buffs so of course like we're gonna be very intrigued about things going on in the Oscars as a matter of fact I think last year we talked a ton about you know the movies that were nominated last year one in particular being the five bloods it it, it was kind of surreal to watch what was going on um or what went down because you know me personally at first I thought it was staged. Um, I didn't know what was going on because the sound kind of went out on the broadcast that I was watching. But eventually people got their hands on um, the Australian as well as the Japanese airing of the Oscars with all of the audio in it. And it come to find out it was, you know, Will Smith yelling, you know, some profanity 
Well, he wasn't yelling like just straight out profanity, but he said something that included profanity and, you know, how they usually broadcast live events is probably with some kind of like five second delay so they could kind of like catch things that shouldn't be aired real quickly. So everything ain't necessarily live, but it was indeed a very real slap and Will Smith took exception to Chris Rock making a joke about um Jada Pinkett's hair at the night because um you know if you've been following the Smith family you know they've been very very um open um about their personal lives with everyone some like myself would say kind of to the detriment where you know you've opened your um life up to the world and you know in a society where People have social media, people like myself have podcasts where we could kind of like give our reactions and, you know, give our thoughts on these things. Like, yeah, of course, people are going to, you know, say negative things about, you know, some of the things you do. But one of the things Jada Pinkett Smith did share was the fact that she was um, developing alopecia, if I'm pronouncing that right, which is um, a condition where in which people start to lose their hair. Um, I believe it starts off in like patches and eventually, um, you know, they can't grow hair in that spot. So some people tend to like just, you know, do away with their hair and just shave bald. So you made a joke about G.I. Jane, which is, you know, uh, um, you know, saying like she was preparing for a role in G.I. Jane to which is a very obscure movie from 1997, I believe, starring Demi Moore, which oddly enough, uh, probably like going off base here, but I remember at the time I was like a kid, but I do remember a lot of people making it um, a big deal because Demi Moore actually shaved her head for the role. And, you know, it was made a big deal out of because, you know, she was seen on all of these fashion magazines and um, all different types of photo shoots where it was showing her being attractive while being bald. And the interesting, interesting thing about Jada Pinkett is like, first movie I ever seen Jada Pinkett in, Throw Down Dirty Shame, you know, her and, um, what, what is it? Why is her name like escaping me right now? Um, uh, I can't remember the other actress in a, in a movie. They, I just remembered them, um, like, I was, like, four or five years old, and I was like, these women are some fine-ass women. And I just remember Jada Pinkett had, you know, very short hair. And at that time, you know, and I tweeted it where I was like, I think in 1994, like, three of the finest women on the planet all had, like, short hair. Halle Berry, Toni Braxton, and Jada Pinkett. Um, and it was only later in my life, like, I seen her in roles where she had hair. I didn't even, like, like, I thought her hair looked weird and Naughty Professor, um, to be honest with you. So, you know, but teachers own, you know, you can't tell people what to be offended by. But I found it, like, odd that this woman who always, to me, looked very attractive, you know, with little to no hair, um, being offended by somebody making commentary about her hair, especially in relation to a movie where in which the star of the movie was being praised for the fact that she was wearing her hair short. And I also found it a little strange that earlier in the night, Regina Hall made kind of like a, I wouldn't even say a joke. It was all like, like a whole comedic bit about um, taking single 
actors that were in the audience to the backstage area to have them retested for COVID, quote unquote, because she was making a whole big deal about her being single. And, you know, that in of itself kind of raised a whole conversation about like the double standards of, you know, being sexualized. Um, essentially, she brought up all of these actors and had them um, kind of like objectified on stage. But, you know, people paid little to no attention to that. But the thing about it is towards the end, she said, well, you know, the last person she said, she was like, well, you could come up here because um, Jada said it's all right. She says you're available, you know, making a joke about, you know, this inside joke that they had an open marriage where, you know, the whole entanglement situation with August Alcina. Some people said it was during a break in their marriage or while they were separated, but some people feel like they've always had like some kind of like open marriage. So this joke was made there and, uh, you know, there was like no reaction from Will nor Jada to that, but he definitely had a strong reaction to Chris Rock, you know, saying this thing. And she, he walked up and, you know, smacked them. And it's interesting because shout out to Tiffany, you know, follow on YouTube friend of the show you know she was talking to me about yo like i might you know she dropped a reaction video like right after which was great you guys should check it out probably drop a link um in the descriptions you know she was kind of saying i was like missing a boat but you know there's so many times i wanted to hop on here and talk about it you know obviously right after it happened didn't get a chance to then after all the reactions so I think I'm finally getting to talk about it when the dust is starting to clear a little bit. And some news came out today that Will Smith is resigning from the Academy, which sucks because, I mean, you know, ironically, I think the root of this whole beef stemmed from way back in, I believe, 2015, you know, with the Oscars So White campaign um, started by April Rain, you know, where it's really, you know, brought to light or at least, you know, starting to be discussed a lot more how, you know, underrepresented, you know, certain groups, mainly Black groups, I mean, mainly Black people are in the academy. Um, and I started to open up the academy to include a lot more African-Americans, include a lot more women, include a lot more LGBT people, disabled people, all kinds of people who are underrepresented. But going back to the ceremony in 2015, Will and Jada boycotted because I think uh, Will didn't get nominated for the concussion movie. Is it was it called concussion? I'm not sure, but wasn't nominated for that movie. And you know, Chris Rock was the host that year, and he made a joke about you know Jada boycotting the Oscars, and it was basically you know the Chris Chris Brown, how you gonna hate from outside the club when you can't even get in? Because he alluded to the fact that she was like a TV actress because she had a TV show, um, the one where she was playing a nurse. And, you know, he was saying, like, she wouldn't even been invited anyway. And I think there was still a lot of, like, resentment from that moving forward to today. And, you know, it's a lot of pro-clutch and a lot of people acting like it was like, you know, this traumatic event and people won't recover. And, you know, Will Smith's this violent guy. And, you know, that creates a whole nother, like, set of commentary because, you know, I always talk about the inherent fear that people have of black men in general so to take a well-beloved person like a will smith and try to vilify him and you know basically demonize him and make him into this violent person i mean will smith throughout his life it was always a running gag in like the hip-hop community how he never cursed in in his raps 
and you know he was basically like the squeakiest cleanest dude ever and you know people was making up or making him out to be some kind of like monster and that shit really makes me feel comfortable as a black man and you know the fact that you know any any kind of misstep out of line that could make white people uncomfortable could have you cast as this like menace and this like terror and it's it's a harsh reality that you know i think as in general black men we deal with and you know i do realize that's the case because in a lot of these things where people talk about like will smith could have hurt him uh will smith assaulted him will smith this they keep saying him but they keep leaving out his name in like saying Chris Rock to let you know that this was a black man, you know, um, step into another black man. So as to say, like any of us could be a victim of these black men, even the ones that smile the most. And, you know, that's a scary, scary reality. And it's like a huge dog whistle to me. And that's, that's one of the things I take, take from it. And people are talking about, you know, it being like a referendum on comedy because, you know, Chris Rock said a joke and, you know, it was a very well-timed joke. You know, it was funny enough for the Oscars. It was not, you know, something that I, I think he would have led his, like, comedy specials with. But it was all be it funny. I mean, like, comedians always kind of fry people in the audience and it's the Oscars, man. Each one of these pre presenters try to come up on stage and say something witty and funny and, you know, talk about the people in the audience and stuff like that. They literally did it for the whole three hour show. Um, except in this one moment, this person faced consequences for the things that he, he, he said. And it's, it's a person who's a professional comedian. So a lot of comedians are also saying, that, you know, they feel like now somebody's going to try to decide to be the next Will, Will Smith and probably like walk up to on stage and try to assault them. So that's going to kind of like have them walking on eggshells whenever they perform. Do I think it's that deep? Not really. I think it was definitely a, a, a isolated incident. I think Will Smith definitely regressed it because, I mean, I said it when I first saw King Richard. And mind you, I've been watching Will Smith act since I've been, like, you know, in diapers. The thing about it is, like, I was kind of watching it. Um, I recorded the Oscars and I didn't watch it live. So I was kind of like tweeting through everything and, you know, it kind of, as I'm tweeting, you know, I'm still in a mindset that this was like a stage type of thing because I didn't know what was going on and he won. And I, the first thing I tweeted was, you know, James Avery is probably smiling down because it, we all remember the why he don't want me um, probably being the first time we actually seen the, the best acting or actually at least like Will flexing his acting muscles. And every time Will talks about that scene, he talks about how James Avery was basically coaching him through it and, and you know, walking him through it, um, you know, pushing him on this bike with training wheels, you know, this acting thing, and then, you know, letting him go without the training wheels on and letting him do his thing. And it's always a significant moment for people who are a fan of the freshman Sabella um, and a fan of Will Smith. And I was thinking to myself, like, this is a really good moment. And before the Oscars, when I saw King Richard, I was like, this is the best acting Will Smith has done in his career. I don't know anything about the other people that are nominated, but I believe that Will Smith should be the winner this year. I don't give a fuck what anybody else did. 
I don't care if Lawrence Olivier and Marlon Brando rose from the dead and acted in movies. Will Smith deserved that shit this year above anybody else. And it's just a damn shame that, you know, when he finally got his, you know, and I'm just thinking of this on on the fly. For many, many years, people said, like, you know, Leo deserved an Oscar. And, you know, he's always lost when he's in the best actor category. And when he finally won, it was such a, like, great moment and people loved it and it was such a fulfilling moment and here we are with will smith he finally gets his best actor award he finally gets his recognition recognition for his body of work and it's just being overshadowed by something that was just silly and something that to me past that first night it should have been forgotten it should have just been a laughing affair but obviously people took it far more serious and you know, the, the odd part about it is, you know, people, especially since this, you know, Trumpian, you know, Donald Trump area era of, you know, he, he speaks his mind and um, he isn't afraid to speak. And, you know, people talking about freedom of speech and the consequences of of freedom of freedom of speech. And I think this whole thing just to end it off, I think it's like been a commentary on freedom of speech because you can say what you want to say people how you can you have the right to say what you want to say but people also have a right to react to the things you say and you know have you face consequences for the things you say but at the same time that doesn't mean that you have to shut the fuck up forever um which i don't think chris rock will do and which a lot of people tend not to do um but we'll see where they go from here. I just hope it doesn't lead to this level where you got to pick one side or the other. I really don't like the idea of two black men being pitted against each other. And that's, that's probably my biggest regret of the whole thing. It's just that um, not picking sides. I don't think, I think Will, Will Smith had a right to react to the thing that Chris Rock said, but at the same time, I feel like Chris Rock has every right as a comedian to you know, utilize his talent and say what he wants to say. Nobody's really made it clear whether or not he knew about Jada Pinkett's hair condition and shit like that. But, you know, if you run the video back, like when he said the joke, Will was laughing, Jada was not. And it cut back to Chris Rock. And next thing you know, he Chris Rock was getting slapped. So I don't, I don't know what the whole context of that is, but to me, I just, I think the whole shit should be a comedic affair. Will's already apologized for it. Chris Rock's already back on the road making jokes about it. But I would hope that, you know, there's some kind of like reconciliation between the two because I'm, you know, as soon as that shit happened, I'm like, I remember Chris Rock being on, you know, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air as, you know, guest hosting as I think he was like a one of like Hillary's guests and Will had to take out his sister, which ironically was basically just Chris Rock and drag. And it was played off com- for, for comedy. So clearly these people have known each other virtually for my entire life. And I'm pretty sure their relationship or, you know, acquaintance was never like this um, adversarial. So I'm hoping, you know, again, I hate, hate to keep saying it, but us two black men, I don't, I don't really like the idea of, them being like pitted against each other especially in such a public space so that's what i had to say about that i'm sorry if i'm beating a dead horse and i'm doing exactly 
what I said I didn't want to do. And I'm being hypocritical because I feel like this shit's gone too long. And God damn it. I just seen something where they said they was halting the production on the last bad boy movie or the latest bad boys movie. And I don't want to, I, I don't want that to happen because I love bad boys. Everybody know I'm a fan of the bad boys movie. So hopefully things move on from there. So another thing I came across this week, like a day or two ago, Andy McCullough of the Athletic interviewed Brian Cashman, the GM of the Yankees, been the GM of the Yankees since 1998. So this is 20. Four years he's been at the home of the New York Yankees. It's been very fruitful. I'm not going to disagree with that. You know, 1998 through 2009, we won five world championships. We went to multiple world series um, and capped it off with 2009. Got the core four, uh, Andy Pettit, uh, Derek Jeter, Jorge Posada, and Mariano Rivera, their fifth ring. Um, but since then, it's uh, kind of been bleak in the championship department. Um, you know, as a kid, I used to always pass by from, you know, the year 2000 to 2009, always drove by Yankee Stadium, the old one, and they would have 26-time world champion Yankees on the banner outside of the stadium and I just always used to you know be so hopeful going into opening day that we'd have that 27 championship and then by the time the Yankees got eliminated from the postseason or in 2008 they didn't even make the postseason I would be so disappointed that I still said 26 and then eventually in 2009 it went up to 27 time world champion and I'm like all right new stadium we're going to win a whole bunch of more championships. And in the years that followed, it has definitely not been not. We've had uh, ALCS losses in 2010 and 2012, as well as 2017 and 2019. But those have been the closest that we've gotten to the World Series and virtually the closest that we've gotten was 2017 when we faced the Astros. Uh, left Yankee Stadium 3-2 up in the series, went back to Houston, just needed one win in Houston to go to the World Series. Unfortunately, that didn't come. And unfortunate, even more unfortunate, it came to light that the Astros were using a really elaborate science-stealing system where they would have a camera set up in center field and they would make noise using a trash can to let the, their hitters know what kind of pitches were coming. So, you know, no matter how you try to paint it, it was cheating. Um, but the thing about it is we're now five years removed. And me as a fan, I've gotten over it for multiple reasons. Dealing with the ineptitude of the Yankees or the unsuccessful nature of the postseason for the Yankees in following that 2018 lost in the division series to the Red Sox, which, you know, anytime you lose to the Red Sox, it's, uh, you know, even more salt in the wound than losing to anybody else in a postseason series. Uh, 2019, went to the ALCS again. I think 2019 was probably one of the better teams that we've ever had. 
and still came up short in six games. 2020, lost in the division series, five games to the Rays um, in the pandemic shortened year. And most recently, last year, lost in a wild card game to the Boston Red Sox, which was just pitiful. So this interview, Brian Cashman brought up the fact he's kind of annoyed at the fact that people, you know, talk about their, you know, the Yankees having this 13 year World Series draw or 12 years going into now a 13 year, whether or not they make it or not, who knows, in this season. But he feels that, you know, this drought isn't so simple because they really came close in 2017. Um, at first, when the quote came out, I was like, you know, this is pathetic. What are these Yankees? These are not the Yankees that I, you know, moved to New York, moved to the Bronx, uh, went to Yankee games as a kid. Remember George Steinbrenner being, you know, a hands-on owner and always having these quotes whenever the Yankees were on a shitty run and, you know, telling them to get it together and stuff like that. So this is a whole different team where it's like, yeah, like, we have to come up with, with excuses as to why we have not went one. Let's face it, he was basically doing that, but it did provide a lot more context as to why he, his thinking is as such. Because he said, you know, the Yankees in 2017, they did it the right way. You know, obviously in 20, if you go back to 2015, they lost the wild card game, ironically, to the Astros, who have been like, you know, a bane in our existence since. But that was a much older team. And if everybody remembers well, it feels like the, the whole team started to break down due to the age because, you know, yeah, A-Rod, uh, Teixeira. This was when Sabathia was, you know, he he hadn't reinvented himself. So he was still kind of like crappy and older. And, you know, 2016 came around and, you know, the Yankees basically were in it for a lot of the year. and you know, they had a lot of really, really good prospects coming up in the minor leagues, such as Judge. We brought up Sanchez, who had such an amazing, like, two-month run where, you know, he really probably should have won the rookie year, but, you know, he didn't, you know, came up, hit 20 home runs. Like, Gary was so, so phenomenal, and, you know, that's why to this day, you know, that trade, you know, a couple of weeks ago where they, you know, finally let go of him and uh, sent him to the Twins, it really hurt because I just remember how spectacular the kid was. Um, not only that year, but in 2017, but not to go too far forward, but it was the first time the Yankees actually kind of conceded and became sellers at the trade deadline. And, you know, they traded Andrew, Andrew Miller, who recently retired. And I was very fond of when he was here. They traded him. They got Clint Frazier back in that trade. Uh, they traded a role as Chapman. Eventually, he's back in the same offseason, but they traded him. They got Gleyber Torres. And, you know, they kind of started this little nucleus and this little core. And um, going back to this article, what Brian Cashman alluded to was the fact that the Yankees, you know, they've always had this reputation of, quote, unquote, buying championships and just, you know, throwing their money at free agents and, not doing it the right way, not doing it the organic way. The team seemed like they were moving in a direction of, you know, organically building a new core. And a lot of people ignore the fact that, you know, I brought up the core four, but in reality it's core five because you have to include my personal favorite Yankee, Bernie Williams, 
um, in the hot nucleus where, you know, they let, they let guys, you know, develop in the minor leagues and come up and basically Derek Jeter and Mariano aside, but Jorge Posada and um, Andy Pettit and Bernie Williams, like, you know, they produce at superstar levels. If you look back at their numbers and they won all of these championships, uh, essentially Yankee fans, we felt the same way. We felt like this was going to manifest the same way that we would get these young kids, have our whole new core for the future and basically be this juggernaut. Obviously it has not worked out that way. And Brian Cashman recognizes that, but, you know, he feels as though it's a little unfair to say that, you know, they have this drought where, in fact, the closest time that they've gotten to the World Series is come out that their opponent has cheated. So from that standpoint, I could play devil's advocate and I could understand. But being objective, I must say his argument does not hold weight because in the seasons that have followed the 2017 season, the Astros have went to every single American League Championship Series, including one other one in 2019 where they've beaten the Yankees. Whereas the Yankees, you know, postseason losses, as I previously just stated, they have not gotten to Game 7 of an ALCS since 2017. So that that argument that they were cheating that year and – that might have broken the drought doesn't hold weight because you haven't gotten closer or any closer since. And it also doesn't take into account the fact that the Yankees have only won one division championship since 2017. Obviously, you heard me last week. I'm not a big fan of the whole postseason being expanded because it does give a lot of teams, you know, the safety blanket of, uh, backing into the World Series, I mean, backing into the playoffs where, you know, you could essentially how the, the league is set up now, all you have to do is finish in second place and you're sure to play off spot, which for me as a Yankee fan, I don't like because this team has never put an importance on winning in the regular season and being the best team in your division in order to avoid a wild card game or wild card series or, you know, because they will be playing there will be a wild wild card series this year. So even if they do win the division, if they don't have one of the top two records uh, division-wise in the American League, they could still end up playing in the in a wild card series. Um, so it's important for them not only to win the division, but also to be one of the top two teams in the American League um, record-wise. Um, but it has never, with this team, it's never been an important it's to me as a fan, how it comes off is it's never been important for them to win the division, especially how Aaron Boone manages. Um, to me, he manages kind of to, um, you know, let's not put too much emphasis on today when like tomorrow still exists. And, you know, I think every win, you know, every game should be like game seven or World Series. Like every game should be must win. There shouldn't be games that you just you know, give away or just give up on. And I feel like there are too many of those with the Aaron Boone Yankees. Cashman, he uses the Braves as an example of why, you know, because we've heard throughout the offseason how and Cashman talk about how this team's a World Series is built to win a World Series. 
So I think Brian Cashman kind of elaborated on that and saying that essentially just making the playoffs makes them a World Series contender because using, for example, well, he uses, for example, the Braves run last year where they definitely were not the odds-on favorite, second favorite, third favorite, probably even fifth favorite to win the World Series, but they won this World Series anyway, as well as, you know, back in 2019 when the Nationals beat the back-to-back National League champion Dodgers and went on this run to the World Series and won the World Series, you know, they were not the odds-on favorite. So his point is, like, basically once you're in, you have just as much of a shot as anybody else, which to me uh, is kind of a flawed concept, especially when it comes to the Yankees, because, as I've said, they don't really put an emphasis on winning division. They seem more than fine with uh, playing in a wildcard game or playing in a wildcard series being the second or third place team in the division, uh, being a first place team doesn't seem important at all to me as a fan. Uh, because the Braves, they're not going to four straight World Series, but they've played in ALCS, I mean, in the NLCS, I think two out of the last, three out of the last four years, if I'm not mistaken, or at least two of the last three years, they've been in the championship series. But they've also won the division, which means that they've avoided a wild card game or wild card series entirely. And not only that, but they've had home field in, you know, these series or they've had home field in some of these series. So that you know itself helps. And I remember in 2017, one of my reactions was that the Yankees, all they really needed to do was try to get home field advantage. Their goal for next year which at that point was 2018, should have been try to get the best world, the best record in the American League. And the closest they've gotten to that is 2019, when they still came up short, probably because they didn't have home field advantage. But a lot of people are very high on these Yankees this year because, um, you know, they have these analytics sites they have them pegged to win a whole bunch of games so obviously something that is not um readily available to my naked eye apparently they're seeing so you know I would never root against my team I'm not rooting against the Yankees as much as I hate the fact that Kyle Higashioka is our starting cash I'm not gonna root against him as much as I hate the fact that we're about to be paying 50 million dollars to Josh Donaldson for the next two years, I'm not going to root against him, but who knows, maybe this is a recipe for them to finally have some success because <sighs> at this point, I don't know what is, but we'll see going forward. An order week for this week is going to go to Eric Adams, the mayor of New York, yet again, for being a scumbag because he has a war on homelessness. Or he claims it to be a war on homelessness, but I think it's a war on homeless people because they just came through and pulled a lot of these like encampments that these homeless people had uh, underneath the BQE, which is, you know, underneath the overpass. And I don't think anybody lives under an overpass by choice. They probably do it out of necessity. Um, Not probably. They definitely do it out of necessity. And he robbed all of these people of their homes. And, you know, I, for one, this think this is not what we've voted for. You know, the other day, I know 
how harsh New York winters are. And I happen to be going to work really early on like a weekend day. So I had a lot of these homeless people who were sleeping on the trains. And, you know, I tried to walk to like a cart where, you know, they wouldn't be because they end up taking up like entire benches and areas on the train. So it's kind of hard when you want to sit down and, you know, get a seat and sit down and, you know, have a nice ride to work. But at a certain point, I just got tired of walking, just stood, you know, sat in one of the things. And I ain't lie to you, it did smell in there. It did smell crazy in there. Um, but at the same time, I do recognize how cold it was outside. And, you know, I couldn't imagine having to sleep in that weather. Um, so I totally understood why that had to be done. And I think, like, toughing that out for you know, our that day was far less of, you know, um, concession than having to sleep outside in, you know, 25 degrees, if that, or even like 25 degree weather that feels like negative two degrees out or whatever it is. So, you know, I'm uncomfortable with, you know, our mayor displacing these homeless people and not really having um a clear plan as to you know sheltering them and putting them in shelters where you know they wouldn't be abused or not be safe you know because you know aside from what the news says not every homeless person is you know um you know some kind of like terror on everybody you know it's just people going through hard times so it's really hard to to watch this you know the stuff going on and you know the, the, the crazy thing about it, and I've been saying it for a while, you know, the U.S. is sending, like, all this money to, like, foreign countries, you know, like the Ukraine, and they spend so much money on their military, where it's, like, you know, they've done studies where it's the two other, like, the next two countries, when it comes to military spending, could put their money combined, and it wouldn't add up to the U.S. Um, you know, if it took some of our military money and spent some of this shit on trying to fix homelessness, and um, you know, dealing with all this country would be so much cleaner than it is now. And it's interesting the other day I kind of caught the end of a movie, which was like a Norwegian film called The Worst Person in the World. And I had a part in a movie where the girl in the film is just walking the street to like clear her head, but you could tell it's like the middle of the night. And she's in all these dark areas in this like city in Norway, you know, a big city in Norway. And she, you know, I'm sitting in my, sitting there watching. And I'm like, is this woman not scared? You know, she's an attractive young lady. Like, is she not afraid of, you know, just walking by herself and the thing? But the thing about it is countries like that, they put so much money into public welfare and helping people that, you know, the streets wouldn't seem unsafe at any time of the day. So, of course, somebody could walk around and just, you know, not feel fair and when you look at those countries and you see some of the like prisons like some of them look like college campuses and you know I think stuff like that could be done here where you know they help these people get on their feet rather than treat them as problems to be dealt with rather than dealing with their problems and that's why I'm giving Eric Adams a derisive award of the week here on episode 89 for being a scumbag final thoughts the one final thought i always come to when this will smith thing 
um, Will Smith and Chris Rock thing comes up is that I just hate the idea of seeing two black men being pit against each other. I mean, it really, like, just really to get down to the nitty gritty, I just really don't like to see white folks in black people's business. And I hate the fact that, like, you've seen a lot of white reaction to these two black men having a disagreement and, you know, people throwing in their two cents and, you know, vilifying one, but not recognizing the other. And, um, and I say recognizing the, the other because, you know, Chris Rock, if you watch his reaction to it, I think I speak for a lot of men, like for a man to walk up and slap you in your face in front of the entire world and for you not to react violently or verbally, you know, takes a lot of balls. And, you know, I'm pretty sure a lot of, you know, fake tough guys and people who think they know everything probably oh man like Chris Rock he a punk how are you gonna let that man slap you I think Chris Rock in that moment you know he definitely had one of those like that so Raven really like super speed thought processes where he thought to himself like listen if I were to put hands on this man or if I was to discuss this man's personal life which we all know what part of it you know him and Jada's personal life as well as August Alcina's personal life, I think um, I think he thought to himself, if I did any of that, the reaction to that would be far more embarrassing than this man slapping me in the face. So I think, you know, in all of this, like, pro-clutching that, you know, a lot of these people are doing, you know, it's a lot of, I won't even just place, place it on, like, white people. It's a lot of people of different races um, and backgrounds, even black people who are acting all high and mighty about it. You know, I wish like they would include Chris Rock being the bigger person in that situation and kind of just, you know, showing his own humility and just being like, okay, this is totally on Will. This ain't on me. It would reflect badly on me if I turn, you know, if I like succumbed to that level and reacted to it. But at the same time, you know, Will, I don't believe like he deserves you know, all the criticism that he's getting. I don't think he should have been pulled out of there in handcuffs. I know there's a report that he was told to leave and he didn't. Who cares? You know, to me, it's between them two men. You know, it's between those two men um, and really nobody else. But that's my final thought on that. The Yankees and Brian Cashman, um, we need some to see some results. I mean, unfortunately, when you... You know, you start off the season saying when you start blaming your your own misfortunes on another team or something that happened five years ago, you know, you it does put a lot of pressure on the team this year to perform because, you know, I, I really don't know how you could blame the 2022 Yankees team for falling short just as much as every Yankee team since 2009 all on the Houston Astros but as I said I understood at least understand where he's coming from where he said you know you know the Yankees were trying to do things the right way and you know leads back to a lot of things I've said over the last couple years whenever you've heard me talk about the Yankees where it's just that I think the Yankees need to stop giving a shit like they the Yankees have always been Earth and Bounds different franchise from all the other franchises in baseball at the time. 
at least since the 1920s. And I don't know where this idea of, you know, we got to be in the pack and we have to do things like everybody else. Like you're the Yankees, like you make money hand over fist. You know, if you ever see in the streamline of, you know, like a, 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 a chart of the Yankees revenue sharing and their payroll, it's always the revenue goes up, but the payroll goes down. And at some point, Hal Steinbrenner is going to have to answer for that. And I, I, I don't know how that's going to come to be, but that's my thought on that. And last but not least, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check us out on Instagram as well as Twitter at ShookMeTheMooney. And this has been episode 89 of Shug Me The Mooney, Shug Me The Mooney, Shug Me The Mooney.